HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Friday, February 9th. And like most of us in the L.A. culinary community in the food world at large, woke up to the absolutely horrible and sad news of the passing of Chef Jonathan Whitener. Um, to say he was a giant and the legend in the scene would be an understatement. His food was incredible. His warmth was well-known. And what he and Lynn created at Here's Looking at You and All Day Baby will forever impact the local dining scene. We are sending a lot of love out to his friends and family, his colleagues, both present and past. And I don't know, the restaurant industry, the service industry is really tough. And, you know, everyone has their ups and downs, but there's a lot of support out there. Um, Ben's friends and other support groups that are industry focused, those who really understand the ins and outs of what's going on in today's ecosystem when it comes to running this type of business. So check in with your friends, check in with your loved ones, go out to eat, cook at home, do whatever you need to do to get through this time. Chef, we will miss you and hope to see you in another time. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are hanging out with Aaron and Hannah of Quarter Sheets, one of our favorite pop-ups turned permanent spots here in L.A. We chat about how they met in San Francisco how they pivoted to their pop-ups, serving up 
pizza and burgers and cake during the pandemic and their slow opening to one of the best restaurants in the city. Hannah also breaks it down at the end to explain how you can get food from them or stop by any night they're open. And they chat about the vibe they set in the dining room every night. And then it's a dip into the archives from one of our favorite bands from Tulsa, Will Dorado. The trio stopped by to talk about their album at the time and to play some live songs. Also, HRN is doing an incredible raffle to celebrate our 15th year anniversary where people who donate to become members can win dinner and a show in cities all across America. Head over to heritageradionetwork.org for all the information you need. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN. Feeling drunk again Got this soul guitar It's almost getting a cigarette Not quite sure Just exactly where I am But tomorrow I'll be home It won't matter where I've been When the sun comes up In the morning I'll be well on my way home Darling, there's the time to die or rise
Hannah and Aaron, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hi. For anyone who's in LA, it's pouring, but we may have we may be done with the uh, the rain. So thanks for for staying dry and being safe and making it out to the show. Of course. Oh yeah. Thanks for having us. We love the rain. We're feeling very yeah, relaxed. I actually do not love the LA summer. I'm like living for this stuff. Oh, I was on record last year saying that if we could have this type of winter every year, yeah. I would be more than happy. I mean, this it. particular thing is like kind of, is you know like legitimately dangerous. So maybe a little <laughs> bit like yeah, yeah, yeah. So this yeah. spread out, maybe spread it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of like ten inches over like two days, like out, two months, three months, things like that. Um. I'm trying to think, you know, the first time that I met you was in your driveway. You were doing uh, the burger pop-up out of the back of your your old VW during the pandemic, um, which feels like forever ago, but it was about four years ago. How does it feel to you guys? Because, I mean, that's four years for me, but you guys have gone through so much in the last few years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always... like a different, it feels like a different life time. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's got it. It's the way. So opening any business or just, I don't know, going through that into opening a business, like the cadence of everything is Mm. really disorienting. And (laughs) it kind of, you know, there'll be like a lot of like waiting on something. And then all of a sudden you are, you are like pedal to the floor like Mm. i feel like we we don't have children but i saw a meme that was like it wasn't a meme it was like about parenting and it said the days are long but the years are short and i was like true 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 oh yeah 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 yeah. it's like the longest days you ever had the shortest years that's right but yeah aaron went through like a long burger pop-up phase before we entered Mm -hmm. pizza pop-up phase so that really was another life yes yeah. 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 I mean, you got to cook burgers before you can toss pizza or whatever. That's what they say. It's that old <laughs> adage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to you, learn that by living it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've been cooking for a while, both of you, right? You cut your teeth, San Francisco, Berkeley area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm originally from Michigan and cooked there for years before, um, before leaving to travel around. But yes, yes. Been cooking for a while. Yeah. I'm like all Bay Area trained. And I like, it's funny actually being in LA now. Cause I'll be like, Oh, I worked at all these famous places, but people in LA are like, huh? Oh. <laughs> Nopa? And I'm like, it's Nopa. It's famous. Yeah. Well, I mean, you worked at the famous spot. You worked at Chez Panisse. People yeah. must know that when you people drop know that, that one. one. Okay. People know that one. And I feel like now Alice is like present here in LA too. I mean, she's she present right. ever. Because like of more. the, uh, was it the, the hammer, hammer museum? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Every once in a while, someone's like, yeah, I saw Alice the hammer. And I was like, that that is now a very typical like oh I saw Leo at like the sunset you know something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, but you you I mean what was it like working in Shapeney because I remember going there for the first time I, I don't know 15, 20 years ago and being like oh here's like roasted beet and goat cheese salad and here's like here's like a, a roasted uh, skate wing and things like that and then you go like oh wait it all started here like this is yeah. the epicenter and everything else. It's it's a it all resonated from here, so it lose some of its importance. But you're like, no, these are the first people to really put the farmer on the menu, and, oh, and yeah. yeah, I like it will explain that to people because I I feel like some kind <laughs> of like dis, dismiss it a little at this oh, point. They're like, oh, like I just went to Shapeney's recently, and what a mixed green salad with 
goat cheese. And I'm like, well, they like created that actually. Yeah. So, <laughs> at least yeah. in California, they were the first ones who were, who were doing that. And Alice like really brought that type of cooking. So any restaurant that you love that's saying it's farm to table now is literally a direct descendant of Chez Panisse. We're like the first restaurant like doing that outside of France, I feel like. I hope I'm right. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> to me? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. They're the ones who – there was probably others, smaller ones, but they're the ones who Correct. put it. For all intents yeah. and purposes, it, they're, they're the epicenter of it. That's right. Um, so, I mean, for for my first, first place to work, it was amazing. I That's, like, where I learned to understand, like, the value of just, like, honoring the really good produce that you bring in. Mm. And I think that that's still very much how I cook where it's like, I'm not trying to do anything to hide the flavor of an apple. You know, like I want my apple pie that I make to be the best apples. And then I'm going to make apple butter out of those same apples. Mm. And I'm going to toss the apples and the apple pie in that apple butter. I'm not going to use any other spices. And it's just, I feel like, wow, like what are the spices? I'm like, there are no spices. Yeah, there are no spices. <laughs> just, just the apple. Just- Apple reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. Yeah, but also really important because sometimes people, you know, like like you have to make sure you're using the best thing because you can't just use some shitty apple and then be like, but it's the apple. I can't. And listen, I'm at TJ's every week, but you're saying that my honey crisp <laughs> is not going to cut cut the mustard. Not, listen, with, it'll cut. It'll cut. A, I like a, honey there's crisp. There's a wider window for an apple. I think we're, we should. It's more like, I'm, I'm like, apples are easier, but maybe yeah. like the strawberry you buy in December uh, from, there we go. from Trader yeah. Joe's, like perhaps don't use that in a pie in December. I don't know. My, my heirloom tomato sauce in the dead of February. With, yeah, uh, well, we're lucky to be yeah, in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now you two met, you have like a meat cute restaurant story that uh, is really awesome to have met in the field, but why don't you tell it instead of me just, you know, reading the the note that I have? Uh, well, it's a good tie into the last uh, to the to the Alice stuff because it's a restaurant that exists because that to because of her. Um, mm-hmm. Mike Tusk opened Quince. Uh, I don't know if it was directly after working for Alice, but like that that definitely is a restaurant that exists because of because of her. Um, yeah, so we met at. Um, technically I was, uh, working at Catonia. Mm. Hannah's kind of doing both in the, the, that pastry, uh, room, like kind of serviced both restaurants, Quince and Catonia. So you're kind of doing double duty. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a pasta cook, you know, I, I entered mm. the building as just a, as a line cook and a, a, like with very little California cooking, like experience with, um, in a professional kitchen, I had done some private chef work in the Bay Area just briefly before that. And then that was, that was my big, um, my big first San Francisco kitchen job after I gave up trying to get hired at Tartine. Oh, <laughs> uh, he used to bring uh, loaves of bread. A, just a, <laughs> just a, just a wall, just a fortress of people. Uh, <laughs> Hannah, we're like, Oh, that's cute. That bread's a nice Italian. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so nice. Good job, buddy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get that one, but, but landed, uh, yeah, like I honestly like landed a, you know, a great, a great, mm-hmm. uh, job for a line cook. It was, it was a new restaurant. Um, he's super talented. I, I, people I worked around were super talented. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, the, the pasta cook element comes into it. Cause we, we, sh- uh, this hallway that, uh, the pastry team and this like backline pasta zone shared was 
we could just basically see each other just all day long mm. um, because of this hallway and this like door. Anyway, but also really quick, do you know that I don't know? Do you know this that Mike hired me? I didn't even do a stage. He just saw Shape Nice on my resume and hired me. And then the first day I got there, he walked me into pastry and he was like, his voice is like Hannah's on the pastry team now and then left. And everyone was like, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't, I didn't. I thought I was trying out. Like he just hired me. But luckily, oh, that was good. Look, yeah. I mean, wow. That's, I'm sure that Aaron, <laughs> that you love that. You're like, yeah, like I kept trying to get hired at these spots and I finally <laughs> get there. And Hannah, you're like, well, my first plot was Chapinee. And then they, you know, that just opened all the doors. I mean, but that, yeah, I mean, that speaks to like the importance of that experience. Like yeah. on your resume opens doors. I mean, just literally that's, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any of that. I like, you know, I had like a resume of like spots in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but you know, that's, that's not. Um, and basketball players. And, and yeah. Basketball. I mean, that's that old joke. It's like, how am I supposed to get New York experience if I, if I've never worked in New York and everyone needs New York experience. Yes. You have to lie and cheat and steal. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. 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 I worked there. Please don't call about my references. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, the one thing that I, I, I like about San Francisco that I think more than any city is that they are, um, they're like a go deep and not wide type of place for cooking in like the same realm that like maybe like Italy is and where it's just, and, and Hannah, you hit on this is like, we have the best ingredients. I mean, obviously they have some of like the more experimental cooking, but not like Chicago, not like New York, nothing like that. It was like, keep refining, refining, refining. And and I, I think I can see that, that transition and that reflection in your work because you were focused on like pizza and cake, which could, when you just say it, it's like, cool, like they do pizza and cake. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not just pizza and cake. It's, it's like pizza and cake. Yeah. And I have to imagine that that type of refinement of doing pasta, of doing pastry, of doing that type of stuff led to the base of, of what you built quarter sheets on. 100%. And, and because Aaron and I both, you know, learned to cook in that environment mm. and we grew up as cooks together, always simultaneously, we always were doing like little pop-ups together. Aaron was a private chef and I would make desserts for him, for his, oh. um, the families that he cooked for at the time. I think that at this point we're like so aligned in terms of our palates and like what we want mm. from our own food and the food of others that it's a little creepy. It's, you know, <laughs> um, but it just works really well together. I mean, and I think that's true, especially of someone like Mike Tusk, who is, I think we break a little bit more rules than perhaps our mentors did, but I think that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, you like learn to paint like the painter and then you create your own style. But sure. it's definitely clearly evident, like, where we came from. Right. And and told someone who's working for you does something, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And they're like, no way, they become my mentor. Oh, no. Turn into my <laughs> mentor. Don't experiment to, to, like, like that. To yeah. have to explain my rules to someone makes me sound like a crazy Yeah, me person. too. So, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I just, I just, I'm going to explain my rules to you, but that's after a couple of deep breaths out on yeah. sunset. Like, just give me a second. So you're in San Francisco. You guys have met. You're working together. Uh, what pulled you south to LA? Did you just feel that you had pushed up against what San Francisco had to offer? Or was there a job that brought you to the city? Um, I'm from here actually. Mm. So I grew up here and then I went to Berkeley and that's how I got to Japanese because I was just right down the street sure. at college. Um, so when I had been kind of pushing us to move back for a while, I just mm. sort of missed it. My friends lived here. It wasn't really 
restaurant related at all. In fact, it was the opposite. It was the opposite. <laughs> by the by, the time we agreed to move here, I mean, we were living in a, literally like a basement in San Francisco, yeah. and I was like, promising Aaron the world. I was like, we moved to LA, we can like live in a giant house, you know, like it'll have a backyard, and um, we live in a house. It's better than the basement. It's fine. Sure. It's, you've seen it. Yeah. Um, we still it's a nice rent, house. It's a nice but, street. Yeah, I was like, I'm done with cooking. Like, I'm burnt out. I'm bored of it. I, like, can't do this anymore. I, that's how I felt. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I thought leaving San Francisco would be, like, the only way I could sort of make a transition. Mm. And it's funny now because I've, like, dug in <laughs> even more. But it took me a while to get there. And I think that the thing I was lacking was I wanted to be part of more of the bigger picture. And I think often, like, pastry is its own kitchen, its own hours, you know, you're kind of separate from the rest of the team in a lot of ways. And you don't have, I never did really have that much connection to the business side of things. And that's actually what I'm really interested in. So it's the only way to get both was to open my own business, which I sort of didn't, I didn't realize that as I was doing, but now I, I do do both things and I'm mm. very stimulated and very stressed out, but it is more fun and more fulfilling to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's not why I moved to LA. Yeah. But. The why, the why is, <laughs> the why is, is, is yeah, nebulous. It was like a, it was, it's just down the road from San Francisco. You know, it felt sure. for yeah. me not knowing anything about LA. I was like, oh, it's just like, we're still in California. We'll just, yeah, just go, go down there, just do it there. I didn't have a plan. There wasn't yeah. like, I'm going to career change. I, I was starting to get the little sort of that tickle where I was like, I think I probably need to do something else. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, doing the whole private chef thing post sort of, well, I like, you know, I left Catonia after five years. And when I left, I was in like an exec Sioux situation, pulling crazy hours. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. Of course. Um, but yeah, I existing as like the private thing. I did private chef stuff for probably like 10 years after that, something like that with if i include the la stuff it's like yeah. living in exile it's a very like you leave the kitchen you feel yourself becoming kind of less relevant you you understand that you like that place that you're at but there's a reason you shouldn't go back like yeah 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 it's a very like, um, situation yeah and that even though you're doing a better thing for yourself and still cooking and putting up good plates it's the opinion yeah. of others which creeps into your mind real or not um yeah and i want to talk about that and how things shifted during and after the pandemic and how those opinions seem to matter less and less as the restaurant industry changes we have a song from the archives here on snacky tunes on hrn
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Aaron and Hannah of Quarter Sheets. So you've left San Francisco, you're in LA, and the pandemic hits, throwing the entire world into chaos. Now, Hannah, you were working at the short-lived M. Georgina, which I remember opening and it's closing being like, oh, this is just a harbinger of things to come. Because mm-hmm. everyone was like, oh, like, well, they opened in the pandemic and they didn't have any runway. And I was like, I was like, you guys are giving the the business of running a restaurant a lot more credit. Like, it's like week to week and some yeah. people will hang on. So what was it like? And obviously this was like your hometown, but you still had pulled up stakes and you're in a relatively new city for living and working. How fast did you two realize that you had to do something else? Well, okay. I just have to say that the first like two weeks of the pandemic, while they were very scary, it was a very amazing time for us. Um, mm, okay. I'd say the first, the first like three weeks, maybe. Sure. So, I think it was not little, to like bra- not to brag, but yeah, <laughs> it was before yeah. reality, yeah. Yes. of course. And it was like, as a as a restaurant professional, you don't often get uh, three weeks you know, paid time off, Mm -hmm. um, to just hang out. And it was like, we were having like themed parties in our house, like just the two of us. And like, and Melissa sent me home with like steaks and like clams. And we just had all of this stuff, giant bags of, I took all this stuff home from pastries. So it was like sort of fun. And I also found that I, the first week I kind of just relaxed. I would go on long walks outside and read and not change out of my pages. I was loving it. I was loving it. And then the second week I was like, Oh, I, I feel like baking, which is not something that has happened to me in my home in a long time. Because once you're cooking in professional kitchens, you're not trying to go home and bake on your time off. No, no, it's like not my hobby anymore. So I was there and I was like, I'm in the mood to like make cookies. I'm going to make bread. I'm going to hand roll croissants. And that like impulse had not hit me for 10 years, you know? It's so interesting that. to be awakened like that. And sometimes it's just that pause. Now, obviously, let's just go on the record. Awful time around the world. Terrible times. P- people were dying. There was a lot of terrible things. Um, and like the the restaurant closures. The restaurant like, closures and people who are still not surviving from that. But it was this gr- the big pause, you yes. know, and to reflect and being like, and I think a lot of times people especially in the industry, you're like, what matters? Like what matters to me? What matters to the industry? And a lot of the time, I think all the stuff strips away and, and Aaron, you were talking about this about feeling on the outside and people like saying, you know, you're not much in the game anymore. It just came down to like, we're in it to survive and sometimes on our own and sometimes together. And I have to imagine that that type of mentality plus re-falling in love with like your passion yeah. shapes like what's to come next for you too. I mean, it was also, I'm sorry, but it was like also kind of, once I started doing that baking, it was kind of re-falling in love with hospitality in general. Mm. Because again, I was saying like when you're in pastry, like there's a little bit of a disconnect. You're usually not there when you're eating your desserts, you're gone for the day, you know? And when I started baking, then I started posting things on Instagram and then I started delivering like these pastries and bread to my friends at first. And then that circle expanded and I was actually interacting with people and then people started coming to our house to pick up. And I think it was such a time of like isolation. 
And this was one small interaction that people got to have like five days a week and that I got to have with the people that were actually buying things for me and they would take them home and eat it. And then I started to see the same names, you know, week over week. And I just never had that experience of like having these regulars that I was, you know, aware of, I guess. So it's kind of, I mean, it it was like a time of isolation, but a time of like deep kind of like reconnection for me to the thing that I love doing and to the people who enjoyed like eating it. Mm -hmm. It was this realignment of community and it became so much more direct about who was cooking it, who your customers were. It became smaller, but it became more dedicated. And I had the pleasure of having both pizza delivered and also going to your house. And one of the things I remember, especially during that time, was um, going to your house and you two were cooking and the music was playing. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, someone else curated a playlist that like wasn't me. Um, <laughs> it's funny. That why? You- yeah. Yeah. I mean, that playlist sticks with me just because I was like, oh, my God, I didn't put a song on like someone picked for me. Yeah. Yeah. I actually love someone doing that for me now more than ever uh, just <laughs> just, to, just to i understand that feeling because uh, yeah you know, like the making a mix or a mixtape or whatever is like for me it's like cooking the entire meal assembling that getting it to the table and then you're like that feeling where you're like i just have spent so much time with this like i need to shelve it <laughs> like i can't <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be with this right now. Um, no, yeah. I mean, listen, and when I make a mix, um, I hadn't made a mix in, I don't know, five years. And we did this event, like the first event after the pandemic. And I sent it to my my friends and my brother. And their first one was like, well, they're like, well, this is a very Darren playlist. And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, these are like the same like 30 songs that I've always put on mixes everywhere. Sure. Um, so you're doing the pop-up. You have the playlist. Oh, you know, for people who were there, what was on the playlist? Because it was really good. Oh, wow. Uh, what was on the playlist? You're going to look. I want to say, too, that Aaron deserves a lot of credit for that. Because at first, I feel like Aaron is more of a like a vibe creator. Mm. And he's a record collector. <laughs> I mean, vibes. you are. And when I was first doing it, I was like trying to manage the kind of like business aspects of it. And I didn't think as much about the pickup experience mm. like on that porch with that table. So I would go, so because people didn't, and also I started doing it earlier than Aaron and people didn't really want to get out of their cars. So I would actually walk out to the car and like take it to them and then like hand put it in the back seat or in, they would just open the trunk and I would put the stuff in the trunk because we weren't sure how much interaction was okay. Right, 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 right. Um, or like, is this my pod or whatever? And then when Aaron started doing it, he delivered the pizzas at first and then we started doing pickups and mm-hmm. he made that porch experience. That was such a huge part of the, the quarter sheets pizza club, you know, experience, like coming to pick up, going and seeing the disco ball on the porch, the yeah. music playing, the lights. He like set up a whole light situation outside. We had our little tchotchkes on the table. And if you come to our restaurant now, it like looks like that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I mean, they were like thirsty for any level of any, anything that could resemble anything, the, yeah, right. dining room. Like, the, like man, like, let's, yeah. let's have a little bit of that back in our lives was mm-hmm. kind of the what we were going for. Um, yeah, I mean, forget about someone making a playlist. Like, the fact that someone had cooked f- for for my family and I was, like, such a huge break. And, yeah. you know, not to jump too far ahead, but you did have this vibe. You did have this feeling. And being able to transfer that to, like, a brick-and-mortar spot is really tough because 
as you mentioned, like all like the realities of the business start coming in of like rent and permitting and occupancy and things like that. So how did you how did you ease into the pop up everyone house into this to the space where the, the restaurant is now and still keep the same vibe? Uh, I think easing in is a good way to put it. We, yeah. <laughs> we had, um, you know, we were still coming out of, we were at, when we opened New Year's Eve, 2022, mm. 2021. Day, 2022, New Year's Eve, 2021. Yeah, it was so the like, eve of 2022. Yeah. Okay. So we were still, you know, there were still like, people were like masking and like, there was a lot of like to go stuff happening still. Yeah. And as to go only. Um, so we, we kind of put everything at the very front of the restaurant, built this kind of funny, like a friend of mine who kind of is in the set design world, like came in and just built this sort of. I mean, it was a set. He built it. Yeah. Set. Yeah. So, we, so like, awesome. we, I went to, uh, I don't know, some somewhere south of here uh, to chase down this like cool um, kind of like wet bar, basement bar thing that I just kind of put at the front of the restaurant and then that was the point of sale and then built a set around that just so that there was some level of like, I don't know, we're not just like shoving food at you and like you take it and you go Yeah, maybe right. it's, and it's okay for you to like hang out for a second. Like we can talk. Um, so yeah, we just kind of put that there while we did this dining room build out yeah. and it kind of served as a, you know, just kind of, yeah, our point of sale. And then also sort of like, you can't really see past that into the chaos that is a, a gutted <laughs> dining room. With yeah, we had to, we had to open because we don't have, we just opened this by ourselves. So we mm -hmm. had to start selling food. So we did, we got the kitchen finished first. Do you mean because of financially, you had to yes. start selling? Like, yeah, we yeah, needed to be paying. selling food like right away and we needed staff. And yeah, but yeah, we yeah, added yeah. staff slowly, kind of like just as we needed it to help us one at a time as opposed to like a, you know, a schmancy restaurant opening, you're going to have your GM in place and your whole staff is in place. You're going to have a week of friends and family, and then you're going to open. We were like, we're open. And actually a funny thing about the music is that at first we were like so stressed out that there mm -hmm. were a few days mm -hmm. that we were like, Oh, we'll just let the front of house staff choose the music. <laughs> How'd that go? Bad. Well, what, what was the first <laughs> Do you remember the first song you heard or album that you're like, this is a terrible mistake? It was Ace of Base. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think there was like a cool, like funny disco mix happening. And then like YMCA came on and I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like there's, I don't need, yeah. to, like, no one needs to hear this again. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you're, you're, you're like, you're like, I get it. I get <laughs> it. Like, I, I understand the irony here, but like. Like, not the first impression that no. you want. Right, right. And then we were like, okay, we got to like so, take a moment. So now we're kind of in control of that again. But um, that's... Yeah. I mean, what can one expect if they're walking in? What are they hearing? I So there's... It's all over the place, um, really. But then that's just kind of a reflection of how I've collected music. You mm. know, I'll be obsessive about something for a year and just kind of collect. Um, but... When we got the dining room, part of the dining room is that I have moved part of my record collection in here. So we'll mm. we'll do LPs like um, I don't no know, skips, 
No skips, whole sides I mean, only. Yeah, and like there, it's also like an older record player. That's this is actually like probably going to freak any <laughs> off like audio files out. But like the there's like a stacking mechanism where you can like stack LPs and they'll drop mm. automatically. Um, anyway, well, it's um, the only way that we could have a record player functioning when we're running service in a super busy way because you can't stop and change the records. So we need a whole stack I mean, that's I like curated, that. and then it, they all and then we flip and do like the other side. Uh, oh my god yeah so we play like you know there are like some labels that i love like obviously like numero group is a big one those sure. are like like kind of hits all the way through a lot of the time um i'm a fan of like some r&b stuff like anything like mazelle brothers mm-hmm, have, mm-hmm. Have produced. i'm playing that stuff um there's a fair amount of cumbia that plays um I play it. We actually do mixtapes, like actual tapes, in here I as well. That. So I'll, I bring in any time I can get my hands on a Mississippi Records uh, tape. I'll get I'll get those going, and those are kind of all over the place. Um, the mixtape shop in Brooklyn uh, is a great source for the like. They'll do a mix every month or so. Yes, uh, great. I've thought about them in a long time. That is a great idea. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, Calvin Johnson mixtapes from K Records. Yeah. Uh, Those tapes are just be happening. happening, all that. Yeah. I love uh, that. We so, also listen to NTS radio a lot, is oh, a neat thing. And that's yeah. like just like all hits. And that's actually a great way to introduce because sometimes even though Aaron has like thousands of records, we find ourselves on a little bit of a, a, yeah, a loop. Stuck. You know what you I mean? Stuck. And so then you introduce that's NTS. Saying, that's what I was saying about like the, the other somebody else doing the mixtape. Yes, of course. Like, you're like your mind is kind of locked in a certain way and then somebody else has something completely uh, different to say we're also yeah. really lucky two of our staff are like very good djs oh so they're like, allowed dj nights and they're I know allowed it's kind of, to put it's on, not yeah. very, like, democratic yeah. but we're like you can choose and you yeah can. <laughs> you know you know they're never dropping uh yeah. ymca no <laughs> so yeah. you know you have this spot and um you really refined your pizza and your cake and I think, and we touched on this a little bit, but like it's not your typical restaurant. Like it has its own rhythms to it. It has its own vibe. You know, you're it's a very tight menu. But I think because of the way that people started looking at restaurants and being like, you need to survive to staying open is part of success, that that is actually allowed for you to have that success because you're not trying to chase this like, what will people say? What will people think if we just do slab cakes and pizzas and salads and small sides and things like that. Have you found freedom in this new iteration of the restaurant world? Yes, for sure. And I think that allow, yes, allowing ourselves the freedom to not do too much Mm -hmm. definitely was a really important part of for like for our sanity and creativity. Like the menu fits on a tiny piece of paper. Mm. That's all there is, but it's, like very, we try at least to make it like thoughtful and varied and we do still change the menu pretty frequently. I think sometimes we're, we're literally bound by the little size of our menu and we do wish we could do a little bit more. Mm. That's things that, that's something we're working towards. We also run a very robust to-go operation. It's essentially like two businesses in one. We're running a to-go slice shop and we're running a dine-in restaurant. And I think sometimes the way with which we have approached in the past has confused some people. <laughs> right. <laughs> where like, it's like, I didn't get to order online, so I'm not coming totally. in because I didn't totally. know there was pizza available. Or like still now we've been here for two years and we've had dine in service, like full table service for yeah. about a year and a half. 
people will come and order to go. And we still have kind of a set up front. There's like a little wall and they'll peek around the wall and be like, oh, you can dine in. And we're like, yes, (laughs) yes, it's a whole thing. If you want to wait two hours, you can, you know, but, um, we're, we're exploring ways to make that easier for people to Mm. understand. We'll be adding reservations soon. So I think that I know. Do you like I that? Mean, good, I guess? mean, look, I have two kids and with a babysitter, like oh. knowing knowing they can get a reservation or when I'm eating somewhere is sort of like a huge a huge factor in where, where we eat when we go out for date night. Yes. And yeah. so that's like our next step. But I think that because of the sort of I don't really know what the word is. The way we opened it, which is very again, like people see us, we're always here. People see us, they recognize us. We still have people who are in Glendale coming here that we have been granted a little bit of leniency <laughs> that whether we deserve spot. it or not, it's very nice yeah. and generous. People know we're figuring it out and we're evolving and people I think kind of feel excited and bonded to like evolve with us. It seems like. I I mean, I have to imagine that you have a customer base that's followed you since the pandemic and that, that feeling of, of what you were saying of like hospitality goes a long way like you you know because people remember that meal the drop off of the pizza like the the cake when the world was in a very scary and crazy spot and they had this comfort from the two of you from literally just the two of you you've earned a lot of goodwill yeah <laughs> i guess <laughs> it seems that way and yes. we didn't like op- we didn't open expecting anything and that's true i feel like people say they're oh we didn't want we didn't care about like press whatever like really did not like we just opened because we were out of space in our house and we wanted to keep doing it and we were having fun and then we opened this and clearly whatever we have done has like spoken to people and that is really really nice but all we ever really wanted was just to make food in a place that we enjoyed being so I mean, for those who might been living on a rock, the resonation and people liking it is a bit of an understatement given, I mean, where do you want me to start? Like best new chef, best restaurant, New York Times, LA Times, your placement on the 101. You know, I think it speaks to the, the deep, not wide sort of mentality that you brought from the beginning of your not the beginning, but from like when you guys sort of hit your groove as chefs and, and, and people in the industry, because a lot of people don't, they, you know, there's always pivoting, there's always changing. How do you feel about all the accolades matched with like what you're doing? Yeah, I, it's confusing. <laughs> it's a, it's, I mean, honestly, full disclosure, like when the New York times thing happened that, I like woke up to a lot of DMs from my peers being like, this changes everything just so you know. Um, And so you don't really like it changes things as in the, the, your business, there's a new baseline now. And, and so you don't, yeah, we're not, we didn't open seeking those things. We, we, but when they happen, they, they're impactful and Mm -hmm. like meaningful. I mean, for, for like this little what is just a neighborhood restaurant, a good neighborhood restaurant to be, you know, um, thought about, uh, written about on a national level is great. It's crazy. It's a crazy it thing feels, to us, yeah, to us. And not being crazy. humble. It just literally just seems really wild. wild. Yeah. No, and, yeah. And again, this speaks to like the, the sort of like cadence and the m- momentum and how, how things have happened just like happened very quickly too. like, mm-hmm. uh, uh 
So I feel like it's easier for both of us to recognize, like, like I recognize how good Aaron is. And when I taste his food and it's like such an annoying answer, people will be like, where do you, where's the best pasta? And I'm like the one Aaron makes for me at home. And I like really do think that like, he's such a good chef. And I think that it's easier for me to be like, of course, like Aaron deserves those accolades. And it's probably easier for you to be like, Oh, Hannah, like does. Well, I think what we're, we're we're (laughs) sort of speaking, touching upon so what I value in a restaurant and what great restaurants are is like you get to the, you know, the, the restaurant, the great restaurant is greater than the sum of its parts. You put together mm. a good package and people see it. Like I'm, this is not like, like what I am interested in is certainly like what happens here. And that includes pizza. Right. But I'm not necessarily like we need to be the best pizza place in LA. Like I'm excited mm-hmm. when, someone says I had a great meal at quarter sheets. Like that's, that's where I am. Like, that's when I'm feeling like this is a success when that's sort of what is said. Um, Because that speaks to like, yes, the hospitality thing, this like larger package, this, and there's a lot of just putting pizza in a box and putting in someone's hands, but there's also like, you know, but this dining room with much, much more to offer and like a lot of thought and, intention that went into it. So yeah, that's sort of how I can make sense of someone being like, you know, 25, whatever, 50 restaurants in the nation this year. That's, that's when I can kind of make that make sense. I think. I mean, look, I've always felt that survival and the best restaurants are, are neighborhood restaurants at their core, just serving, serving the community, which is what you two have been doing. Um, if people want to come and visit or people want to follow along or stay attuned for reservations or order online, where can they go? How can they follow and get okay. some pizza and cake? I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Okay. Do it. Do okay. it. <clears throat> On the record. This is, this is, this is how, how these are the ways that you can do this. <laughs> All right. If you know you want pizza in the evening, <laughs> you can log on to talk, which is our pre-order system and order a whole pie starting at 10 a.m the day of. You can't order before the day of, day of. Um, even if there are no desserts listed, that doesn't mean they're sold out. You can usually add one on to your order when you come to pick up your pizza. <laughs> you can also come to the restaurant and order pizza to go from one of our lovely staff members who's working the front door. There might be a long line outside, but we try to get through it quickly and we're working on systems for that. Yes, there is only one line outside. <laughs> So much. I want to go back. There's only one line outside, but that's the line for ordering to go or putting your name on the list. But again, we do our best to get through it quickly. Once you're inside the restaurant, you experience the full dine-in service. A server will come to your table. We offer wine, beer, and a an extended menu that's not just pizza. There's sides. There's specials. We have baked ziti. We have meatballs. We have salads. Mm. We have these incredible beans. And usually we also offer some plated desserts. We do ice cream. We do like warm pear cobbler was a recent one. So that's a full pizza parlor thing. In the future, soon, <laughs> this is so complicated. It's not making it better. I didn't even know you had this in you. This is great. I'm I learning like, things right now. I feel like I'm doing it. No, you're doing it. You're doing okay. it. If anyone's still listening, by the end of February, we're going to offer reservations. Those reservations will likely open 30 days in advance. We're a super small restaurant. I assume they'll book up quickly. We'll, we have nine tables right now, and we'll still reserve space for, for walk-ups at the bar and at probably one table for walk-ups as well. 
So that's the next evolution. But we'll still keep doing the pre-orders and to go. Okay. Now, can I still DM you for a pizza or is the, those days over? Don't do it. Don't okay. do it. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Well, uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, I can't wait to come in with the fam. I will definitely make a reservation um, in advance and, and figure it out. Uh <laughs> And thank you to Phoebe and the team for helping set this up. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. 
Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Hello, and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, we are joined by Maxim Rainer Helmrich of Will Dorado. And we just realized that we have now four or five years, Eastside Food Festival. Shout out to Ann Lee. You were on stage. I think it was the Home State Sisters. So good yeah. to see you. Nice to see yeah. you again. Thanks for having me. Having me back. Uh, yeah, great to have you. So um, let's start with the – I mean – I always have to ask this, like, how are you guys doing? <laughs> Musicians, COVID, pandemic, easing out. How are things feeling? How are things looking? I mean, things feel remarkably good, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the only thing that we're kind of trying to work through right now is figuring out what it's like to play live again, because we just didn't for a year. And so there's a little bit of uh, anxiousness in that. Um, but other than that, man, I mean, it's been a pretty cool year, to tell you the truth. Why is that? I think it's just I've appreciated having this big pause that I didn't have to create. It, it was just something that just was came along. Uh, and... We were, I think I was a lot more tired of traveling than I realized. Uh, so it's just, we, yeah, we just had this big peaceful break and finished a bunch of stuff we've been wanting to finish, had a bunch of conversations we needed to have, that kind of thing. It was like a pretty therapeutic year, to be honest. Like a proper housekeeping, if you will. Correct. Yeah, for real, though. I find that amazing. I mean, I find that with a lot of creatives, both chefs and musicians who just like, they started their project and you guys started like in 2015 and you just kind of hit go. And then you kind of think like, well, the only way we're going to stop really is like a massive hiatus that's self-imposed or we break up. So to have this time where like everyone's sitting it out, (laughs) that you're not looking over your shoulder some people didn't take advantage of it, but like, you know, and you just touched on it, but like, what's one really kind of good example of how you use the time to make uh, the band better? Well, we never, I mean, like you just said, it really was kind of start and go for the band. And we never had much time to just kind of decide what we actually wanted to be. I mean, I'm not sure we figured that out still, but that's a, that's kind of a, a thing we've been talking about a lot is because I mean, we kind of started it, wrote some songs, recorded them, and then we're just always on tour and, and recording. And um, there just was very little thought behind anything, you know what I mean? Or intentionality. It was all just kind of reaction. And, and now we're still home and 
we're getting ready to go into a record cycle. I guess it's just started the first singles out. So now it's like we're having time to try and decide what do we want to be, you know what I mean? And, and that's kind of been fun to at least be able to think about. I don't know if it's going to change anything, but but it's been cool to just kind of identify ourselves a little bit. I mean, the the opposite of that is things you aren't, right? Like that's the that's also we're not this type of band. We we don't do these type of things. We don't write these type of music. Have there been some things that you've just taken off the table? Like, okay, we're not going to go in this direction. We're going to just, you know, we might have done that before, but now, like, this is not an avenue for us. Yeah, wow. That's a that's an interesting perspective. I, I mean, I think maybe more so we've spent so much time just kind of doing things that were asked of us uh, and not spending much time trying to figure out if that's something we actually wanted to do. And, and so now we're going into this period where instead of like saying every idea that's brought up isn't cool or we want to do that or we're not that, we don't want to do that, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out what is it that we actually want to do? What, what can we produce? What can we create? What content would be in line with what, you know, we are and are wanting to be? But it, does that answer your question at all? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, obviously, it's a, a work in progress. Uh, and, by, you know, to, to figure out what type of artist you are can take decades. But I really resonate with sometimes you just like hit go and you're just like, yes, 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 no, no, no. But you don't really know why you're saying that or you think you should be doing something. But doing that actually takes time from doing something else. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's uh yeah, it's an interesting time. I think something we've kind of been plagued with as a band is 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 just kind of thinking things aren't cool or being afraid to not appear cool or what is cool and you know what we have these bands that we like and you know how do we be like that and how do we feel proud of ourselves and and I think we're trying to shut that down a little bit more and not worry about all that shit and just think like, what do we like? What do we love? Why are we approaching each thing by trying to identify the aspects of it we don't hate? And how can we kind of have a more clear understanding of what we love and what we're wanting to make? It's been weird. I'm not really sure where it's led us, but it's definitely been like a shift in thinking. Yeah. I think those fruits take longer to bear, but you just got to get down that path. Uh, can we hear a song? Yeah, for sure. What are you guys going to play for us first? Um, let's do Head Right. I've, I've never really done it like this, so I thought I would give it a shot. But yeah, this is a, just a little acoustic version of our current single. All right. Uh, Head Right, the new single, the beginning of the record cycle uh, from Will Dorado here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Each way in my goal 
gotta get my hair right. Gotta beat the sunrise. Gotta shake this feeling. Gotta make a killing, but it'll always take me so far from home. I've pushed through people on the street There's some place I'm supposed to be Why can't I call my mind Enough to see what I might find Each moment, every single thing Is coming at me like a dream That I'm supposed to free From the corners of my sleep Gotta beat the sunrise, I gotta shake this feeling, I gotta make the healing of me, gotta feel my soul out, I gotta catch my focus, I can't lose this courage, I got no assurance, but my love is waiting for me back. There's been a lot of changes in the creative process. You have gone on record saying that the best way to ruin a song is to take it too seriously. Uh, how have you lightened up or how has the band collectively lightened up um, to create this new batch of music? I mean, that's the funny that you pull that quote out is that's kind of just what I'm talking about right now. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, I'm, so writing songs for me at least is such just a natural thing that kind of like when it happens it, it just happens and and then there's like this basically it happens it gets made and then we spend all this time like analyzing it and trying to figure out what we want the song that's already written to be uh and, and so head Right's really kind of a funny example of that is we just wrote that tune it was so much fun to write we were just all jamming out so straightforward and easy lyrics came real fast and then it was like six months seven months eight months before it was recorded and in that time like everyone started freaking out thinking is this kind of music we want to make is this the we want to be this loud do we want to when can you listen to this song i mean the only time you can listen to songs when you're like raging in your car you mean like all these kind of negative thoughts start coming through and, and you're listening to other music and cruising spotify and it's like man this is chill like 
I love this vibe this song's giving me. And and then you start thinking about head right. And it's like, what? why the hell are we just bashing away all the time? Blah, blah. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. That's like, it's just bad thinking. It's negative thinking. It's all these things that don't really need to be there. Uh, so I think we're trying to just like, just not be that serious. I mean, it's okay to have songs that you're not into all the time. Like I think part of being a songwriter is just writing songs and some of them don't connect and some, you know, for a while, or if they do it first and then stop connecting, that's okay. I think, I think you can be too plagued by like being your songs, you know what I mean? Or being a song. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, as you mentioned, you're getting back into the album cycle, you are a collection of songs. People have sa- have been saying that, you know, we're going to like the one song era, you're defined by that. And I think like commercial pop in one way, but if you're still releasing records, there's multiple sides to your personality, each embodied with the different songs on the record. Correct. I mean, just like you are as a person, right? I mean, we all do things every day, but and just because you actually get mad to spilling a bowl of cereal or something doesn't mean that you're an angry person. You're, there's going to be 20 other opportunities to react differently throughout that day. And I think songs are just the same way. Uh, but it's interesting because you get to spend so much time on them. And then ultimately you decide if, if you hear something we write or not. You know what I mean? So there's like a scrutinizing process that should be a part of it. But we're just trying to be less cool about it. You know what I mean? I, I think that's something that like, I could admit to. I've been just been trying to be cool too long and it's uh it's gotten exhausting. really exhausting dude yeah plus yeah. it's like that's the antithesis of cool right like the people i think are cool have never thought about being cool in their whole lives yeah I mean, all right can we hear another song yeah what are you gonna uh, play for us next how about morning light This old guitar is almost getting a cigarette. Not quite sure just exactly where I am. But tomorrow I'll be home. It won't matter where I've been. When the sun comes up in the morning, I'll be Darling, it's the time to dry your eyes I'll be holding it in the morning Austin to Alabama. 
Cause I'll be holding you in the morning light. I'll be holding on to you in the morning with some old snacky tune friends i am sound paul and nikki we go way way back how did you connect with them and and how did you hook up with them along the the way man i liked i liked those people so much especially nikki i i I have a lot of respect for her i thought she was one of the coolest people i ever met to tell you the truth and her dad was got Mm -hmm. to have with him in new york which is pretty rad I had nothing to do with that. That was our, our manager, Chris. I mean, when we put that first EP out, he, I think, blasted a bunch of people and, and they, they came on board. Uh, it was kind of a short-lived process. I think we were with them for like that one EP. I actually remember we, I, we, had, we had finished that. We were needing more music and I had written a bunch more music and, and they told me it was all too shoegazy. <laughs> was kind of funny and and she said what you guys really need to be doing is um you know putting more emphasis on your harmonies and and that sort of thing so that that week i wrote song favors i don't know if you've heard that song but that was kind of just like i'd give nikki's advice a little try and uh, i don't know if i ever told her that before but favors is for you nikki and then i just have to ask as a fleetwood mac fan you went on tour with two of the founding members. Uh, anything you can share? <laughs> I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but like, what was it like traveling with, you know, Lindsey Buckingham and Christine McVie? It was cool. I mean, it was, yeah. That's, I could talk a lot about that. I think traveling with them was like they would show up in black suburbans a couple hours before the show so i don't know what traveling with them was like i know what it was like to eat their catering every day and that was awesome uh it really was awesome I mean, they had like veggie vegan and meat options for every every meal uh they were really professional and really into what they were doing still, which was pretty cool to see. And then they were just so they involved us a lot. I mean, we were making that favors EP, uh, mixing it on the road while we were with them. And I remember they would come in and say they had been listening to the mixes in the bus or, I mean, the band would, or, or, and, and, uh, he came in a couple of times. Buckingham did to, to just kind of tell us he thought we were doing great, to tell us he thought our band was cool, our songs were cool. I remember they would come into our dressing room uh, several times. Lindsay specifically came into our dressing room a couple times just to tell us we were doing great and that he loved our songs and 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 just to kind of like brick brack. I mean, it was rad. We would uh, just kind of kick it with him. And same with Christine. Christine was – she was a little bit more uh, – elusive but you know if you would pass her anywhere she would 
smile on, squeeze your hand, or she gave me a kiss on the very last night, told me she loved me. <laughs> it was awesome. Dude, it's just the coolest thing ever. I know. It was the coolest thing ever. That's amazing. So uh, as you mentioned, Headride is the new single. You guys are dropping back into album cycle. Can I ask what's coming in the next months? Is, is that even a fair question to ask in sp- spring 2021? Yeah, I mean, we're asking that question all the time ourselves. So we're we're being very plastic with everything and, and trying to adjust as we need to um, to try and get a tour as close as we possibly can to putting the record out. But it's just gonna. I, th- I think we're gonna be pretty generous with singles leading up to the record. Uh, there's gonna be another one that comes at the end of June, and then probably another one midsummer and then one will come with the record itself so uh just start putting out songs amazing yeah Yeah. well we want to make sure we have time for one more song but um where can people find the music sign up for updates you know get ready in anticipation for the the tour and the release how do they find everything well i mean instagram is usually the best that's where we uh try to do our best keeping everybody up to date uh wildorado.co we've got a mailing list uh you know just all the internet all the internet ways amazing uh well maxim thanks for being on snacky tunes and a big thanks to everyone who tuned in this week uh what is the name of the last song you got for us help me down great Appreciate everyone listening uh we'll be back next week with uh, another episode of snacky tunes here on hrn I wish I had a stone to throw at something real, a treasure of my own, so I could feel. I dropped an anchor in the sand And watched it drag on through the sea The shackles are off my hands But I ain't free It's such a lovely shade of blue Help me down, don't pick me up Something that I can touch Just the way I've loved you all along The summer came in fast But it hasn't learned to last It came to town just to turn you brown Now I'm freezing in my car As I'm driving under the stars I've been thinking of you Like I tend to do in the dark I guess I never learned to choose Help me down, don't pick me up Something that I can touch Just the way Here I've loved you 
all along Help me down, don't pick me up Give my hands a bit of love Just away, here I'll love you While you're gone Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.